0: you would, uh, open up your Bibles, uh, second book of the Bible. We are in Exodus, and uh, we're looking at Exodus 20 today. Exodus the big numbers are chapters the smaller numbers are verses I don't say that to insult your intelligence I just say that because sometimes um, there are obvious things in the church that we don't point out sometimes right we just kind of assume that everybody knows those things and there's also a place in your Bible called the table of contents so if you don't know where a book of the Bible is you can just go ahead and look at that and if somebody makes fun of you that's sitting next to you you just find yourself a new seat right we got a pew open right there if you want you just come sit right there Um, or right there yeah that'll work too right um, Exodus chapter 20, if uh, you looked at it, uh, it is the Ten Commandments. And we had a meeting this morning, uh, as we do every Sunday, where we go through the schedule. We start talking about what's going to transpire for the day. And um, one person in that, in that meeting that will rename, remain nameless, um, it was my wife, uh, <clears throat> said, everybody knows these. And uh, you know what's interesting? I challenged her a little bit, and this is the only time I've ever challenged her on anything, by the way. Never a um, challenger on stuff. Uh, I, I said, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if people know what the Ten Commandments really are or how they apply to our life. Um, I've been to Israel a couple of times, and. Uh, and um, going to Israel, you know, it's funny, people talk all the time about how cool it would be to go there and how cool it would be to like stand on that mountain and read the word of God. And, and it, it is, it's kind of neat. Uh, but what we can do as believers, and we forget this all the time, is we can take the words of God and live them out, which is more than any experience, uh, will do for us. And so, it's, it's important as we study this really familiar passage of Scripture this morning for some of us, that first of all, some people don't know this. But second of all, it's important for us to understand how we live these out. These commandments are written for Old Testament Israel, and they have New Testament commands for us as believers, but we have to understand these things in that context with light of the whole Bible. In the Bible it's important that we study it correctly. Verse goes to chapter, chapter goes to book, book goes to genre, genre goes to testament, and testament goes to the whole entire Bible. So we have to study this in light of the fact that we have both the Old and the New Testament. Well, if you were here last week, you're probably thinking, hold on, Pastor Jordan, you kind of skipped some... um, really important passages here you know I mean you just went straight from chapter 15 all the way uh, to chapter 20 yeah I did because if we were going to spend time in um, the Old Testament book of Exodus uh, properly we would be here for a long time and so let's talk about how we got from uh, chapter 15 to chapter 19 it's fairly simple In chapter 16, there are these people that you know of called the Israelites. They're God's people, and uh, they're a lot like us because they do two things really, really well. They grumble, number one, and they complain, right? And if that's not you, then it's probably the person sitting next to you uh, is a grumbler or a complainer. Never about you, right? Like, hard be it for you to be a grumbler or complainer. And I know it's 10.45, so we're looking at lunch here pretty soon. So you guys will start grumbling and complaining as the time continues to pass, right? Um, And the reason why the Israelites complained is often why we complained, because they're hangry, right? They wanted food. And so in Exodus 16, essentially, the Israelites start complaining to Moses, their leader, and Aaron. They said, we would have rather died as slaves in Egypt, than be here walking around this wilderness. And Moses, being a great leader, prays to God, and God answers the prayers of the Egyptians' hunger. And God's like a great father because it's not what you ask for. Sometimes you have to be specific in your prayers, right? Because you'll get things that maybe you didn't intend. So there's these little wafers that were with honey called manna. And the Israelites are going to eat these for 40 years, right? That's like God saying, hey, if you're going to complain about being hungry, I'm going to give you the worst meal ever for 40 years. And maybe you'll be appreciative about the fact that I'm a good God, right? He loves us because he puts boundaries on us. That's cool. All right, Exodus chapter 17, if food wasn't a big issue. Well, now they start complaining about water, right? Like, we're hungry. Do we have something to wash down this manna with, okay? And uh, sure enough, God comes through and provides there. Exodus 16, or 17, excuse me, is interesting. It's, di- it's um, divided in two halves. The first half is the Israelites continuing to wander. They're complaining to Moses about water, but the second half we see that these people called the Amalekites come and they want to fight Israel. And as they try to fight Israel, Moses does something that's really interesting. He equips a man that we'll find later in the text by the name of Joshua. And he says here that Joshua was equipped to fight and they won when Moses' hands were lifted up. It was a team effort. And so Israel gets a little bit of a jolt here because they realize that manna's got some protein in it, right? (laughs) And uh, the water's not that bad, right? It's not like bremen water. Um, And then uh, with this victory, they find themselves kind of um, hanging out, for lack of a better word. And as they're hanging out, the people have problems. And as the people have problems, here's what happens. Moses, being the leader, essentially takes every single person's problem and solves it by himself. I can't even imagine. That's like a line outside of my office from all of you saying, Pastor Jordan, will you please solve my problems? And Moses does what I would do. He says, you should go to an elder. right? right? That'd be Fantastic. <laughs> um, and he gets that advice from his uh, father in law, which is Jethro. Jethro comes up to Moses. He says, Moses is not a good idea that you are solving all these people's problems. You should equip leaders to help solve people's problems. And that's what he does. He takes his father in law's advice. Sometimes, men, your father in law has good advice, okay? Um, and then Exodus 19 sets up Exodus 20, which is where we're at today. And God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he makes a covenant with him, a promise to him. Let's look at verse uh, one and two of Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are also called the Decalogue. And here, God speaks all of these words of the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments, audibly. Wrap your mind around that, audibly. Saying, I The Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So let's pause right there for a second because we have to introduce this. I know it's like a cliffhanger, right? But when we look at uh, Exodus chapter 20 and the first two verses, we see this is a great introduction to one of the greatest events in Israel's history. When we study the Ten Commandments, we realize that they're from God to man, Israelites. But if we were to study culture and civilizations, we would see that most cultures and civilizations, pagan or Christian, follow some sort of this order. They would say, this is generally a good idea. Well, no kidding. It's from God, right? Um, And it's split up into what we call the law. The law has three parts in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is the first five books of the Bible. We call these the law, or we call them the Torah. And when we see these, okay, there are 10 commandments here, Exodus chapter 20. There's also the ordinances And then the third thing is a worship system on how the people were to praise God through priests and tabernacles and offerings and festivals and all those truths. That just gives you a little bit of background. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we have to realize there are two truths here. There's two truths of Scripture in the text. Number one in the very first two verses is, these are the commands from God. We go to the next slide, Trevor. The commands from God, all right? Keep going, one more. Um, In verse 1 and 2, the Ten Commandments come directly from God, uh, and what they are is Moses serving as what we call an intermediary. God audibly says, if you want to write that down in your Bible, that is important. These people knew that it came from the Lord. These people knew that it was from God, okay? Okay. Man, I'm getting ahead of myself here, okay? Um, Dave Guzak, who's a commentator, says, God spoke all these words and no man would be above his law. Here we see the entire nation heard God's words and we hear them now gathered in this sanctuary. They're given by God and therefore a specific purpose. Go to the next one. My uh, clicker's acting up. God's laws... And the purpose of those laws... Now hang on for a second. I'm not going to give all these to you in a slide. I'm just going to tell you these things. Accomplished seven things. One, they revealed how holy God is. Two, they were to set Israel apart from other nations. Three, they exposed man as being a sinner. Four, they provided temporary forgiveness through sacrifice and offerings. Five... They offered a way to worship for Israel through their yearly feasts. Six, they provided godly direction. And seven, they showed that nobody can keep the law. The law wasn't given so that the Israelites could obtain righteousness. As righteous standing or justification before God has always been by faith alone. The laws function here in the text was to show the Israelites their sinfulness in comparison with God's standard of holiness and to command and to condemn mankind. The law condemns, grace gives life. Thank God we are on the New Testament side of things. To stand here would be condemned. But here in Christ, we realize that no one can perfectly keep the law. Everyone falls short of God's standard of holiness so this realization causes us to rely on God's mercy and grace when Christ came he fulfills the law with his death he pays the penalty for breaking it in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 10 and by faith in Christ the believer who's trusted in Christ that his blood covers their sin the very righteousness of Christ is imputed upon him The Old Testament looks to the coming of Christ. The New Testament looks to Christ who came. So what? All of that introduction and background is, number one, you cannot bring yourself out of slavery. God has to do it. Number two, Christ brought you out of slavery by dying on the cross for your sins. You can have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And so here, the Ten Commandments, what we realize is, is that these were for Israel but they still apply to us. Nine out of ten of these are continually repeated in the New Testament text with further stipulations for us as believers to follow and obey. So to simply say these are for the Israelites and not for me, uh, that's not true. Okay, Just one of them, and we're going to put a pin in that one, and I'll tell you that in a second of what that one is. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail later on down the road. But let's look at this. Go to the next slide. The Ten Commandments, let's explain them and let's see if we can apply them, okay? Go to the next one. Uh, The Ten Commandments, if you break them down, first four are about God, second six are about how you're to love your fellow man, okay? Really simple. First four about God, second six, all right, are about how to love your neighbor. Now, here's the crazy thing what is the greatest two commandments? You should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's the first four. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. There's the second six. Okay? So if you want to fulfill the great two commandments, pay attention and listen. All right? Go to the next slide. Let's look at uh, the first four. Number one is in verse three. And I'm just going to go all the way through 11. Um, You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in it above heaven or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord, your God. That's a repetition of verse two. I'm a jealous God, not jealous in a sinful way, jealous that I want you to have a relationship with me. Visiting the iniquity of my fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations, those who hate me. But I show steadfast love to keep to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. Um, Eight, remember the Sabbath day? Keep it holy. Six days you labor and do your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock. How does your livestock work? I always wondered that. (laughs) stop it, (laughs) or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days, talking about Genesis chapter one, two, and three, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Well, let's break these down. Let's start in verse three. You should have no other gods before the living God. I'm going to ask you a question today. What is your God that you place above the living God or the true God? When we talk about worshiping false God, we're talking about anything that rivals the true God or anything that is in opposition to God or competition to God that overlooks his uniqueness. No other gods is very simple. It simply means no other gods. So how do I know if I have other gods in my life? Well, I would say the more you stare at the real thing, which is the word of God, the more you know what other gods you've placed above God. So daily Bible reading constantly reminds me of God's greatness, and it's written for me to know God, and the more that I know God, the more I'll know if I'm in the world. If I'm not in God's book, then I'm in Satan's world. How are you doing on your daily Bible reading? Okay, number two, go to the next one. Idol, if you want to circle that word, it's really interesting. It means to carve. Specifically, to the Israelites, he's talking about carved wood or stone. The command was about worshiping in the proper way. Worship of God was to be spiritual, not materialistic. So to make an idol of God something, and look at verse 4, like the sky when he talks about the sun or the moon or the stars, or on earth, that would be the animals, or in the waters below, that would be like the fish and the crocodile and other sea life, is forbidden because God is jealous, a good thing, that he wants us to worship him alone. He is unique and requires unique devotion that affects the future generations. What you worship is what your children see you worship, and what your children see you worship, they will worship. If you ever wonder what's important to you, ask your children, and they'll tell you. Ask, have somebody else ask your children, hey, what's important to mom and dad? Oh, he loves his cell phone and his computer. Yikes, Right? So this is why it is important that we take inventory of what we worship. Now, here's the crazy thing. Some of those are materialistic, right? Idols can include but are not limited to pride, self-centeredness, greed, gluttony, love for possessions, right? All of those things, anything that is ultimately in rebellion against God. And God says to his people, take inventory. What do you worship that is greater than me? And the same commands in the Old Testament are for us today. Take inventory. What do you worship? Now, here's the crazy thing. What you worship often comes out of your mouth sometimes, too. So go to verse 7. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, that's easy, right? None of us take God's name in vain. We don't do that. Hold on a second. Just a second. Maybe maybe, maybe you do, okay? I'm I'm pummeling you today. I'm, I'm totally aware of that, all right? The Lord's name was to be honored and protected. In other words, the Israelites were commanded not to use God's name for any idle or flippant or insincere purposes. So, there's three ways that this command is disobeyed. One, obviously, profanity, right? To take the Lord's name in vain that way. But look at the other two. To be silly with it. That's to look at something and say, oh, God did that. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. As if he is somebody or something that just is flippant in your life, right? It's also hypocrisy, claiming the name of God, but acting in a way that disgraces him. In other words, it's when we say, I love the Lord, but our lifestyle doesn't line up with the actions that we profess. Ouch. So if we say we're believers, we better act like we're believers, because if we don't, then we take the Lord's name in vain. We show God reverence only by speaking of him in respectful and honoring ways. I'll give you a great example of this, because I am guilty 100% of the time. How many times do we sit down to eat, and I'm like, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food I'm about to eat, right? Like, we do this all the time. And I think to myself, I'm thinking of the God of the universe, and I'm so flippant with that. And I'm like, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. Wow, I was convicted this week about that. Maybe you're good, all right? So I think God wants us to pray before meals because when you put your head down, it just all that smell comes up, and you're like, oh, yeah, I should definitely pray for this, okay? (laughs) All right, number eight. 9 to 10. Remember the Sabbath, and this is where we're going to kind of put a pin in this, okay? I'm going to run through this real fast, but we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks because this is one that we really want to dive into. The Israelites were called to remember the Sabbath, to recall or meditate on this day of solemn worship of God. For them, it was Saturday. For us, um, some people say that believers celebrate a New Testament Sabbath, which is Sunday. <clears throat> you need to be careful with that because Sabbath, the word Sabbath is specifically for Israel. It's not for us. So if we have a day of rest, it's, we wouldn't call it a Sabbath. We would call it a day of worship, if you will. Okay? And again, I'm going to talk about this later um, in a couple of weeks, so just hang on for a second. The Israelites um, remembered the Sabbath on Saturday. We celebrate on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. That is the resurrection, okay? And that's why you probably wonder why you come to church on Sunday. Well, there you go. The Sabbath for the Israelites was holy. If you want to circle that, it was separate from all the other six days, which did two things. Number one, it showed that God was holy, but two, it showed them being distinct and different. This wasn't a day where they just sat around and did nothing. It was what I call restful worship, where they're constantly worshiping God for who he is and what he's done and what he's about to do. So it wasn't slothful, it's an ordinance of who and what God is and what he's all about. Now believers today, under Christ, aren't bound to keep the Sabbath, but I I ask a question. What if we had a specific day that we set apart where we were in restful worship to God? Where we were constantly focused on him? Hmm, what would happen? I'm going to ask that question again in a couple weeks, okay? Um, All these four, look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. You don't have to go there, they'll be on the screen. This is how we love the Lord our God. This is how you love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is what it looks like to love the Lord. It looks like we have no other gods before him. There's no idols in our life. We don't take his name in vain. We're not flippant with it. We speak to him like our heavenly father, and we have a time that is set apart for restful worship. If we love the Lord, we'll we'll strive to implement these four things, um, technically three, okay? Okay. Uh, so what about the second six? All right, let's talk about how you're doing with loving people. Go to the next one, verse 12. All right. Honor your father and mother. My mother and father are here today, so I gotta be careful with that one, all right? That your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. That'd be so funny. Some farmer out there is like, done that. (laughs) 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 Or anything that is your neighbor's. All right, let's pause there for a second. Let's break these down. We're going to go through these kind of fast. Number five, verse 12 keeping up with me, Trevor. Good job. All right. Um, Implies obedience, honor, of great value, and respect. Now, the promise of long life here is to the promised land, keep it in context, to Canaan, which is the promised land for these people, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean you'll live long because you honor your father and your mother. Uh, Dennis Fisher says this, and I think it's very important for us to remember, honoring your parents has no age limits. You can always do this. The only time that you're allowed, I'm looking at you guys, to disobey your mom and dad is when they go against God's word. That's it. And I know how much you guys know God's word. So just keep that in mind. All right. As a young person, I would be in my Bible all the time. (laughs) Okay. Um, So number uh, six, don't murder. Murder, if you want to circle that word, means to slay. And this was For two reasons. Number one, it preserved society. But number two, it showed a respect for your fellow citizen because they were made in the image of God. This is not talking about war, but more civil life. 1 John speaks of this, if you want to go there to the next slide. He's taking notes. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So it's not just with our hands. It can also be with our minds. And some of us are wondering, how do you kill somebody with your mind? Have you ever been in a vehicle? (laughs) When we harbor hatred in our hearts, we're committing the sin of murder in God's eyes. God looks upon the heart, so we have to be careful. If you hate somebody, you often are killing them in your head, and God hates it. Be very careful with that. Number seven is the sanctity of the home. Don't commit adultery. It's the building blocks of our society. The greatest mission field, mom and dad, is your home. Don't miss that. You are called and commanded to make sure that you keep that a sacred space. And it extends to both men and women. Again, Jesus takes this, right? And he puts this to the heart. He says, lust can lead to this action. Israel and the church was to act different. And sexual purity was a mark of holiness. So if they were going to be set apart, they should be sexually Pure. Are you? Interesting. Number eight, don't steal. Not even the pens from church. Just kidding. Those are free gift. You can have those. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh man, I do that all the time. <laughs> to not steal encourages respect of other people's property. This is related to the 10th commandment. Paul repeats this, it repeats this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. This will be on the screen. He said, he who steals... Once he becomes a believer, must no longer steal, but rather he would labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has in need. If there is ever a case for people to work for a living, that's it. Okay, <clears throat> it's good to labor, and it is good to have, but it's also good that we don't steal. Don't steal anything. <laughs> You've been to church for free. That I was waiting for that. that was so that's so fun. All right, verse sixteen. Don't bear false witness. The command concerns bearing false testimony against an unjustified injury, especially in legal matters. Essentially, what this command boils down to is keeping up somebody else's reputation. Believers should never tell any type of lie. We are commanded and called to be truth tellers. Are you a truth teller? Something to think about. And then the last one is kind of hard because if you fulfilled all nine of those, right? Now we're going for the jugular here because he says don't covet It's a general safeguard against all other sins. The Israelites were not to long for or desire earnestly or lust after what they legitimately knew belonged to another person. So here's how you combat covetousness. You just look at somebody and say, hey, man, that's really nice. I like that. That's cool. Wish I had one of those. (laughs) Right? In 1 Timothy, Paul gives young pastor Timothy this in uh, chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. He says, true godliness means that we're content." It is a great wealth to be content. And if we're not content, you need to pray to be content. We're brought with nothing. When we come into this world, we can't take anything with us when we leave. Let's be content, right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And I think young Timothy, who's a pastor of the church, probably looked at it and nodded his head because he saw that manifest all the time in the society that he was in. Now, here's the deal. I just told you this. Believers today, we are not under law, but grace. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 15. However, we willingly abide. If the Israelites were called and commanded to do this, they did it in a very legalistic way. But we who have come into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, we do this because we want to, because it's our spiritual act of worship. So when we look at these things, we look at 9 out of 10 of these commands, and we see they're repeated again and again in the New Testament with even higher expectations. Here's the Christ connection. We've broken every single one of these 10 commandments on a heart, thought, or action level. I mean, all of us look at this and we go, man, guilty as charged. This is why we need a Savior, especially one who died on the cross for our sins. So we trust Christ through salvation and we accept the free gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to live a sanctified life. I cannot fulfill any of these Ten Commandments without the Holy Spirit indwelling within me. It's impossible. And so here we look at it and we realize that there is a life that is to be lived through following the Ten Commandments because it helps us to have joy in anticipating the future glory that's to come. Am I excited about these? See, we can look at these and we can say, look, God is putting boundaries on my life. Or we can be excited about the fact that God loves us enough to put boundaries on our life so that we don't uh, go into disaster, right? So you can look at these two ways. You can look at these as burdensome or you can look at these as freeing. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, let's finish that um, little section. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, They were afraid. God's voice boomed and they were petrified. They trembled and they stood far off. It's almost like they ran. But I love Moses. Moses has a relationship with God. It's really fascinating what Moses does. At first he's very timid and here we find him confident. And he grows more and more confident the more he speaks to God. And he says to the people, you speak to us. And Moses said, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses says, people, don't fear. In other words, what he's saying is these are not put here in regards that you would tremble. God loves us enough to give us his commands. This is a good thing. To be fearful of him that before you that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Here's my question. Who are you in this story? Are you the people or are you Moses? Are you drawing near to the commands of God or are you running away from them? The response of the people is fear, negative, but Moses is fear, awe, adoration, right? Power, majesty of God. They wanted to hear him through Moses, not directly. I want to hear God's voice in my ears. Moses accursed them and essentially he looked at them and he says, you guys, a true fear of God helps us curb disobedience. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. And Israel lost the fear of God. It's a frequent theme in all of Exodus. But that can't be true of the church. You know, I remember um, growing up, um, and it's kind of happening again in our family, but I don't know um, how you guys grew up, but I remember the paper used to come. And in the paper, um, my dad would always open up the paper and he would flip through it and he would read two things. He would read the sports section and the comics, (laughs) right? Sometimes we hit the obituaries up, too. I was raised as a pastor's kid, so there's that. Um, But he would open up the comics, and I'll never forget. There was a comic. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you don't. It was the Frank and Ernest comics. Do you remember that? Man, some of you guys have no idea what you're missing out on. It was just a one little brick. And Dad, you always thought that was the funniest thing in the world. He'd be sitting there laughing, you know, or whatever the case is. One of those Frank and Ernest uh, uh, cartoons, there's Moses, and he's on the mountain before God. and He's holding the Ten Commandments, and he tells God, I love this. He says, it's your call, man. But I still think the Ten Habits of Highly Effective People is a very catchy title. <laughs> Here's the hard truth. These are not suggestions. These are the commands of God. These are not given so that you would be a highly effective person. They are given so that you know how to worship a great and awesome God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we know that um, when we look at these commands, it just shows us how sinful we really truly are. It just shows us just how much we've fallen short. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 just comes in full circle. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in our sin, if we stay there, we deserve your judgment and your wrath. And we deserve so much more, so much worse than that. And God, my prayer is that the awareness of how much we've fallen short would make us aware of how much we need a Savior. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, let me give you the great truth of the Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting and eternal life. For Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, he came into the world to save the world. God is not standing here condemning you in your sins, he's asking you to repent of those sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and be justified. And if you haven't done that this morning, it's very simple. You can just say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I trust Christ today. I believe that his blood that was shed on the cross covers my sin. So many of us have done that. We've made that decision, and we stand here today, and we look at the Ten Commandments, and we say, I I still fall short of these. And so oftentimes when we look at those Ten Commandments, we say, God, I feel condemned. And we have to embrace the truth, God, of Romans, which is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so would you help us, Lord, this morning to not look at these commands as burdensome, but life-giving. And would you help us to follow them? Would you keep them on the forefront of our minds this week and this month and this year? Would you help us to read them over and over and over again? to implement them so that we know how to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also to love our neighbor, anybody who has a need in which we are able to meet. We understand that these are for our good. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I would pray that you would do that today, that you would help us to know that they're for our good. And that because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. We can be conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Give us the ability to conquer this week. And may we give you all the praise and glory and adoration that you so rightfully deserve when those things happen and manifest right before our very eyes. We trust you, God. We give you today and tomorrow. And we ask that your will be done and not our own. It's in your name we pray. Amen.